I thought it was going to be one of those, I, I say this a lot, indie by numbers things. And the trailer looked very indie by numbers. Like, mm-hmm. I knew she was going to get sick at some point, but and then I thought it was going to go into the, okay, we're going to learn a lot about each other and life and all this stuff. And it was going to stop being funny. It kept being funny. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be because I thought it was going to spend a lot more time making us cry. But it still spent plenty of time making us get upset. But yeah. I did not know it was a true story until the end credits rolled. Uh, so I had no idea uh, uh, throughout that she was going to make it. I was fully prepared for her to die. <laughs> oh, wow. Nope. That's Till the Words Run Out by singer-songwriter Josh Nolan off his album Fair City Lights which you can purchase off iTunes and other sources and find a link in our show notes. The voice you heard before that was the panel from an episode on the big sick of Amanda's picture show, Go Go, a podcast which in that episode discussed the mixture of comedy and tragedy, which is our topic for this episode as it relates to new release three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. We also have another podcast to recommend to you that we will play later from Sally Lloyd Heroes. But for now, I'm Michael Denniston. Joining me is Jesse Lauren, and this is Mark Has Played, the movie podcast about movie podcasts and the discussions that come from them. What's along what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say fuck, piss, or cunt. That right? Or anus? I think I'll be all right then. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my goddamn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on a good time. I'd do anything to catch your daughter's killer. I don't think those billboards is very fair. The time it took you to get out here whining like a bitch, Willoughby. Some other poor girl's probably out there being butchered right now. We've had two official complaints about those billboards. From who? There's a lady with a funny eye. A lady with a funny fucking eye? And a fat dentist. There's a lot of good friends of Willoughby in this town, Miss Hate. Ow! Ah! You didn't happen to drill a little hole in the dentist today, did you? Of course not. Huh? I said, of course not. I'm sorry about Angie, but the town is dead set against these billboards. You know who threw that can? What can? How about you, sweetheart? Uh, no, I, I didn't really... Go, girl. Hey, fuckhead! What? Don't say what, Dixon, when she comes in calling you a fuckhead! Keep a case in the public eye. The better your chances are getting it solved. And when I see the sun. You know, if you hadn't stopped coming to church, you'd have a little bit more understanding of people's feelings. All this anger, man. It just begets greater anger. In three, two, one. And as sad as the spectacle of these billboards might be. This reporter, for one, hopes this finally puts an end to the strange saga of the three billboards outside. This doesn't put an end to shit, you fucking retard. This is just a fucking start. 
Why don't you put that on your Good Morning Missouri fucking wake up broadcast, bitch? So joining me for this one, uh, I think it's the first time we've done a Marcus Blade. I can't keep track of who I'm talking to and what podcast I'm on. I think I'm on Marcus Blade. Is that right, Jesse? Is that what we're on? It, it is right. It's our first time doing it together. I did it once before with Dave. That's right. So Dirty. That, was, that was a miserable experience for you, and I hope this is this better. It would have to be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and I. that will be the last time. I say the full title because I don't think anyone is saying the full title. Like on Twitter, everyone's it's three billboards. So yeah. uh, too long of a title, but uh, it's a movie I've been anticipating for a very long while. And it's had for the most part, very good reviews. Although it's also had some very negative, very heated reactions as well. So that's par for the course during Oscar season. <laughs> and uh, the reason I was so looking forward to it is it's obviously very dark subject matter. It's about a mother grieving the loss of her, her daughter who is raped and killed. And she decides to emphasize that point to this small town that at least in her eyes have forgotten about that death, that act. And, and she's going to bring it back uh, to the forefront and make everyone uncomfortable until something, anything is done about it. That being said, with that very heavy subject matter, really entertaining and a lot of uh, very offensive jokes are made in here. This is, this is a comedy. If you go to IMDb, it is a first foremost, a comedy than a crime drama. So that's going to be our topic here as far as movies that previously have dealt with subject matter that could go very heavy, very dark and yet have put something out there that uh, is classified as a comedy. And I think my first question for you is, you know, did, did this film, did it, did it actually work for you? Like, would you, would you classify it as a comedy? Were the laughs strong enough to overshadow what is essentially a very, very dark, darkly plotted film? Oh, I don't think I would classify it as a comedy to anybody that I was recommending the film to. And I would recommend everyone see this film. I really enjoyed it. But I don't think it's necessarily a comedy. There are some movies that don't fit directly into any one category. And those tend to be my favorites because I feel like life is filled with the dark and the comedic. You know, there's that whole um, to do with Get Out being classified as a comedy. The Martian in a previous previous year, I guess, for the Golden Globes as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's I don't consider Get Out a comedy, but it's definitely very funny. You know what I mean? So it's kind of the same with this. I really don't consider it a comedy, but it's extremely funny. I had a big smile on my face when I watched this almost the entire time. And that's that probably sounds awful when we're talking about <laughs> a film that is about a young woman being raped and killed. But I mean, yeah, you're evil, but let's move well, on. That's, Everyone that's, knows that. Yeah, it's on the record. That's boring. Everyone's aware. It's, yeah, yes. it's, it's cliche at this point if I'm on a podcast. So <laughs> um, I guess it's, it is certainly like there's there's a certain nuance to how these these characters who also are very broad handle one another and it, it is a very strange combustible mix you first off you have sam rockwell uh, playing dixon who's this local cop and is a basically a fuck up i mean that's what it, that was really what should be on his, his name there is i'm the town fuck up that's how everyone perceives him and he is toxic masculinity incarnate uh and just totally insecure racist almost proudly racist um, and proudly abusive of his power. And yet you have sequences with him where he is totally devastated 
and in need of protection almost from the film and the filmmaker. And I've seen that be somewhat of a controversial point as far as how much the the film is a caretaker for its characters. But then you also have you know, you have a scene where literally Francis McDormand's character of Mildred, who has been antagonizing Woody Harrelson's character, uh, as Chief Willoughby, is the one who's primarily, at least on the billboard, is named as being responsible for the inaction being taken, becomes uh, it goes from being an antagonist to a caretaker in a sequence where he's sick and he starts to cough up blood. And so all that probably does not absolve me of sounding sort of creepy or twisted saying I had a grin on my face during all these, these horrible <laughs> misdeeds, but I felt like it's a very dramatic and stagey world, but it still felt very lived in. And I really, I don't know. I just dug, like, it was almost like I was watching my favorite TV show, even though this is a two hour movie and I'd had no experience with the characters prior. And I could not wait for, uh, that character from the the bar, like played by Peter Dinklage, to interact oh. with another character in the town. I don't. So I just I just enjoyed it the whole time. It was just it was far more entertaining than I thought. I knew it would have some bite to it, something like Alexander Payne's Citizen Ruth from the nineties, and like, taking on like you know abortion as a as a as a comedy. But I did not know it would be as entertaining as what it was for me. So uh, yeah, I guess I mean I guess I would label it a comedy, but, um, I, I feel like it's hard. It's even harder to find than something like get out, which I would just say that's a horror movie, a very effective yeah. horror movie. This, um, I, I, I don't know. It's a strange comedy melodrama. I don't, I, it's just, I don't know, but it's, it's really good. I, uh, it's, it was probably my favorite movie going experience of the year as far as just being entertained and wanting to hang out with these characters. Totally get what you mean when you say that you feel like you're watching like a, a favorite TV show. Um, one of mine, and I'm about to get a lot of shit either from you or anybody who listens to this, but uh, one of my favorite shows growing up was Allie McBeal. Okay. And I continually said, like, I don't think that this gets any nods as far as Emmys goes because it's not a comedy and it's not a drama. Like, it's a dramedy. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm -hmm. it's very, very funny, but there are moments of such intense humanity that really make you sit back and think and you're very affected and it's one of those things that keeps you coming back again and again and becoming invested in these characters because they are uh, flushed out and they're well-rounded and I think that that's something that mixing comedy with a different subject matter does very effectively is it shows you that there are different sides to everything like not everything has to be catastrophic and horrible in a drama you know it can be funny not everything has to be really lighthearted in the comedy it can be dramatic and sad and there can be tragedy involved as well um so i think that's a great point that you make about it feeling like a you know watching a favorite tv show almost every one of my favorite tv shows it can't be categorized as a comedy or a drama it's some mix of both and the smile on your face constantly i definitely had a smile on my face well yeah, uh, I, I for mean, the I, most part i <laughs> you know I, I do that just so so people will, will not look at me and ruin my my sort of solo movie going experience because they're like oh that guy looks weird he's enjoying himself <laughs> too much so um have my own little personal theater uh home theater going on out in public but i i think there, there could be some issues with people because i you, you hear it all the time or you see it like this film was misleading in its advertising or the film didn't give the audience like maybe they were they were primed for for one type of feeling, but not having a mixture of things. And I think you often see comedy sprinkled in, but for the most part, you know, you, you think of something like Million Dollar Baby, and I'm I'm not knocking Million Dollar Baby. It's been years since I've seen it, but that is such a heavy film, and it's like proudly 
heavy. You know, its mm-hmm. tone is heavy before anything in particularly bad happens to the characters, but it's, it's like announcing itself to you saying like something terrible will happen to these people. They will not, yeah. they will not live in the light. The darkness is going to find them. And that's what I really admire about something like three billboards is you can almost forget like what has brought all these, these crazy characters together. And the, the premise of this film is a woman reminding everyone who has, who has tried to forget. And I think that it's, it's bold at times in how unlikable it makes Frances McDormand, even though she's clearly our, our hero and she's very fun to watch take down this very sort of small system. But she puts, uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people where this just is just re- releasing. She, she puts other people in danger in grave danger. And yeah. while she somewhat cares, she also will not be deterred from her own interests and her own interests at that time is just destruction. Just, to continue to focus the attention on her pain, she's going to make other people suffer. And even though she tries to avoid that, when push comes to shove, she decides that my pain is more viable than, than others like attempting to live their, their lives. And I think that's, that is a possible jumping off point for people where they've had a lot of fun with someone like a, an outsider, a rebel sort of trying to take down the system for the greater good. It does make you question you know, and then what is what is the ultimate goal here? Because you've you maybe have just become addicted to this particular rage, and it's like a cancer that's that's really killing this character of Mildred. Because she just like there are clear points where most people I think are meant to say no, okay, that's enough. Like that we don't the billboards is one thing, embarrassing someone is is one thing, but physically harming another person and possibly killing them. I don't know. Did you ever, were you ever off the, uh, you know, the Francis McDormand train? I know that's, that's on <laughs> film Twitter. That's absurd. No one ever is off the, the train with her. She, we just always follow her along, along cause she's great. But I think the film does challenge you to do that. Well, the point you make is interesting because right as you began, I was like, no, you're wrong. Like if my kid safe, were, you know, safe bet when I, whenever <laughs> I speak, you can just, you can go with that 99% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, you know, I, as you continued talking, I kind of came around to your point of view um, with a couple of little tweaks, exceptions, personally. I don't like, like the if my <laughs> You're like, well, I can just take that right out. Um, <laughs> if my child were murdered, and I'm going to knock on some wood here that I've got right mm-hmm. next to me. Um, but like, you know, if something horrible happened to a member of my family or someone I love and the case went cold or they weren't updating me, which happens a lot. I I don't think that she set out to hurt anybody. I think she set out to, like, I don't think she was, I don't know, uh, putting out her rage for all the world to see. I'm pretty positive she just wanted to keep it at the forefront of someone's mind pretty consistently. And that someone was, uh, was it Sheriff or Chief? I don't know, Willoughby. Chief. Yeah, Chief, uh, yeah, Chief Willoughby, uh, Woody Harrelson's character. And, you know, a lot of the times there are more things that the – police can do they can bring in uh outside resources you know what i mean it's like and if something horrible happened to somebody that i loved i would be 
I would probably end up being Frances McDormand. I mean, I'd, I'd definitely have to work out a bit to look as amazing as she does. My God, she's phenomenal in every way. She, and she has she has uh, no time for humor at award show. So so I don't. <laughs> I, look, <laughs> I look forward to her appearing, you know, and hopefully nominating her and her winning a lot of awards. But I I don't imagine she's going to find the hosts in particular too amusing. And I love that about her. She's not she's not going to give you a polite laugh. No, she's not. It's one of the, my favorite things about her. And I loved her character throughout. Like the moment that she lost me, well, because the harming someone that I believe that you're referring to, and we don't want to get into spoilers, I'm pretty positive it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like I'm going to execute someone right here, but right. it was It was an, an act of rage that was done uh, without... It was violent. Well, with, there were definitely no safeguards as far as, you know, the, this someone could could perish in this. Um, sure. You know, she's not – she's going to have no way of helping them. She's going to have way of, no way of knowing uh, if they're going to be able to survive this particular act that she does. And that's that's the point where I did wonder. And it's, it's – you know, the way they transition out of it is to an awkward uh, asking out of a first date. I loved that so much, but I'm going to, I'm going to love anything. Like when it comes to awkward romantic entanglements, like that's my bread and butter right there. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that. I thought that was an interesting uh, distraction from everything that happened. And I mean, the overwhelming mood to this movie that I really enjoyed was like, it's very in the moment. It's very a moment in time. And again, you know, time is not one thing only it's mixed with a bunch of stuff. So it's like, you could be going through this horrible, terrible experience where your family member is murdered and no one's paying attention and you're acting out violently. And then the next minute someone's like, Hey, but you're kind of hot. You want to go out? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, that's, that's life. I really enjoyed it. I thought it, you know, had a nice little kick to it. I don't think you should encourage me to start act acting out violently and then helping people find that, uh, you know, charming. But sure. I I'm, mean, sure. <laughs> I'm not Francis McDormand, so I understand that there's, uh, you know, I have I have a ways to go. But um, to what you just said, that's and I don't, you know, I don't want to make the transition for you. But you, in our sort of pre-talk, as far as like what you had in mind, as far as other films, uh, mm -hmm. you were talking about Gross Point Blank, and so that's yep. that's a film very much about a specific point in time, trying to recapture it. But two people there's quite a bit more baggage and there's quite a bit more mileage and years that have happened that have separated the two and for one character in particular. So um, I'll let you take it away. Cause I know you, that's one of your favorites and that's, that's what you wanted to, to talk about when we're doing this episode. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I was listening to podcast uh, celluloid heroes. And at one point they kind of bring up that the tone of the film is that of a John Cusack rom-com but it happens to be a movie about a hitman. The tone of it and the style, it all feels very 90s, and at the same time, it feels ahead of its time. Yeah. And yet it's coming after all of Tarantino's stuff, and it's funny because they throw in a billboard of the Pulp Fiction, not a billboard, a um, standee, like a poster board standee. Stand-up. Stand-up of Pulp Fiction, and then it gets shot up, and it's a clear kind of homage that, yes, this tone and this style of movie is coming after what Tarantino has invented. I, I think, But they're trying to do something that, different. It is much different. much more comedy. Yeah, it's it. much yeah. more uh, within the tone of a John Cusack rom-com. Right, it's That's a romantic comedy that, in a dark hitman movie. Yeah, somehow it works. I don't know yeah, how it works, but it, I, I think it's the script. Because I think of John it's, Cusack, it's too. It's the energy of the actors. Yeah. They cast Minnie Driver as his uh, romantic co-star. 
she's amazing. One of my favorite Mini Driver performances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, she kills it. She nails the comedy. She nails every Just that first moment. interaction they have when he comes home and he comes into a radio station, the way they are reacting off each yes. other. It's, well, it, there's physical comedy from both of I them. I love the fact that what he does for a living is horrifying. And... Uh, like, morally, no one should be able to accept it whatsoever. But you're totally rooting for him, like, throughout the film. You want him and Minnie Driver to get together. And, I mean, talk about an awkward ask-out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's just, like, the most violent shootout happening. He's just like, hey, but I think we could work this out. And you're rooting for it. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but you're rooting for it. And it's a perfect mix of, like, mortality and inappropriate behavior and comedy and it all just like it shouldn't mesh together but it does it's almost um relatable in its stilted uh mix um you like it too though yes yeah it's it's one of my favorites it's a film that i i don't struggle with because it's always entertaining it's always like it's just it's perfect in its messiness and uh, the, <laughs> the character that i love the most is many drivers character Oh, she's amazing. Um, who is Martin Blank's high school sweetheart, and he he really is treating her like you've seen a lot of romantic comedy. You know, it's a trope that she's going to be the one to save him. And there's a little bit of maybe manic pixie dream girl element to her, but it's I always sort of absolve the film of that because um, it's their high school reunion weekend. And I'm like, okay, all the characters are kind of looking back. And kind of, you know, they're listening to the music that they did in high school and they're, they're reconnecting with people. So they're, they're trying to sort of reclaim that, that quirkiness of their, their teenage years, that awkwardness. But the one scene that always, always kills me is after she has found out it's, it's a, it's a great sequence where, um, you can see it coming where it's like, okay, she's actually going to see this, this assassin with a dead body. You know, it's gotta <laughs> happen. Of course. Um, and he tries to explain himself. He tries to explain that somehow he can put all of that aside for her, which is misguided in its sweetness. But I always saw it from her point of view, which is that is terrifying that you can forget about all the, the misdeeds, all the people you've killed because you're attracted to me and you can see a life with me. And, and somehow through this romance, you can stop being that person and become something else. And she has this line where he's, he keeps trying to explain himself and she says, don't you get it? You don't get to have me. Mm. I, I I love the ending and everything, but I, there's also that alternate version where I'm like that, that line and that delivery from her is so good that I feel like, you know what? That's, that's what he deserves in a way. <laughs> like I like Martin Blank, but I, I love that, that idea that it's like, no, I'm not like, I deserve more from, you know, my, my one love in life than to be the, the caretaker for you to, to be the pick me up to get you to stop killing people. Oh yeah. But like, you shouldn't like Martin Blank and that's no, why the no, entire like premise of the film works. You shouldn't like him. You shouldn't like his secretary who is like perfect in every way. Joan Cusack. Um, you shouldn't like Dan Aykroyd. You definitely shouldn't like Jeremy Piven, but he, you know, it's he Jeremy ends Piven. up right. Um, but I love the dichotomy there where like, she's got this reaction. You don't get to have me. This is terrible. This is immoral, you know, all that stuff. And yet like coked up Jeremy Piven's definitely going to just help you hide a body and have no questions at like, you know, that's true. Like, friendship. Oh, that is ex absolutely. 
It's definitely true friendship. I don't even think that Minnie Driver's character in that is much manic pixie dream girl. If anyone's manic or dreamlike, it's definitely going to be Martin Blank. I mean, they both are. That the the uh, the flirtation and the the radio interview is that they're both very, very well, certainly very manic. He is. I mean, he's yeah. He can't sit still, and uh, you know, I guess he prefers her spot to look out the window. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I think that it's. It's it's not one I would have thought of uh, until we were, we were texting about this episode, what we're going to uh, do with this one, this particular really? theme. Um, but I, I think it's accurate because there is that – all of that history that's filled in with those characters. And it's in that film, it's heightened because it's a high school reunion. So everyone's everyone's playing the part of their teenage selves and they're asking the, the obvious questions as far as, you know, in particular with Martin, where the hell he's been for the last decade. But with with three billboards – I think it's it's a little it's a little more subversive in our expectations because there are definitely moments where the the characters reach out to Mildred and you expect her to to buck a little bit or you can't wait to see her like in the the trailer there's there're teenagers that throw uh, a cup of soda or something at her car and you cannot wait to see her handle these these little punks these little kids mm-hmm. And yet then there's a sequence with Chief Willoughby where after the billboards are put up, he comes to her and says – basically he's not saying, look, I'm I'm off the hook here. But he is explaining why his mind is somewhere else, which is he's he's dying. He's got cancer and he doesn't have long to live. And she, she stops the scene short and I think she counters our audience expectations by being like, yeah, I know. But you know, I've got it. I had to put him up now before you're dead. I know the whole town knows (laughs) yeah Um, I I think that there's definitely an interest in seeing how far you can push the audience to uh, continue with with our quest because those are those are moments that are primed for a character's asking for understanding and the the message that comes back for her is like understood but I'm still going to do what I'm going to do like I understand you're dying but that doesn't change anything. And that, that goes back to that gross point blank moment that I like so much, which is mm-hmm. he can talk all he wants. He can try to. And John Cusack's very charismatic, especially as Martin Blank. And she's just like, it still comes down to that you're killing people for money. That's, you know, that's, yeah, you that's can talk all you want. All it is. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, I agree. There's definitely, um, and you were talking about like Citizens Ruth at all, mm-hmm. as well. Um, I love that movie. I hadn't thought about it in years. But with like the dark subject matter, like intertwined with the comedy and everything, there's one through point, and that's always honesty. It's honesty with like that prevails within the attempt at distraction. Like I'm going to tell you something really heart wrenching, and you're going to want to you know empathize with me, but no, you're not off the hook. Like I'm going to be really super charming, and I'm going to be John Cusack, but no, you're not off the hook. It's you know there's an honesty to life, and it's really difficult for people to hold to that honesty and hold to that integrity. And when you do, I mean, there's just, it leaves room for that comedy to breathe within the realm of humanity. You know, it's, it's bringing those worlds together um, that I think is extremely successful in filmmaking. And I wish that there was more like it. Um, The other examples that I thought of, and you were talking about, you know, comedy being peppered in to really serious subject matter rather than being basically the, at the forefront. I actually thought about Manchester by the sea. I was really amazed at how much I was laughing at that movie. 
like I knew the subject matter. I knew it was going to be terrible. I knew I was going to sit there with a big box of tissues and leave with a big puffy face and red eyes. But the comic, like the comic relief, like in between the moments of like terrible seriousness was actually extremely well executed. And I didn't, I was not prepared for it at all. That was the first thing that I came out saying was like, that was a lot funnier than I even remotely expected it to be. My wife had the same reaction because I had, I, f- I found the the whole I found the whole movie like just completely heart wrenching and you know just a very intense experience and um, a lot of that is the performances with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. I mean they have that mm. one extremely powerful sequence which is uh, you know is about forgiveness and and one character uh, the one that you're kind of rooting for to seek forgiveness uh, having none of it so basically saying I'm a, I'm someone who does not deserve that and I won't accept it and. I thought a lot. I I didn't think of the humor as much, although I should, because my wife was like, "Hey, that was a lot funnier than what you led led me to believe." You know, in the the midst of this this tragedy about a uh, you know a brother being lost and a son losing his father, they're they can't find their fucking car that's parked somewhere. Like there's the, oh my there's, God. there's the real life annoyances still. <laughs> like yeah, the world doesn't realize that you're going that you're living a tragedy. It's still going to give you the basic bullshit of like where the hell's the car? And I I love that. Yeah, definitely. There's just moments where you you have to la- like if you don't laugh, then you're gonna either cry, kill yourself, or kill somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And that's what I love about these comedies surrounding dark subject matter is because you have to laugh. You have to. Now that get, that gets to what I would I would liken Manchester by C to. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the Casey Affleck character who forgiveness would bring him no no sort of absolution no there's no no joy he can glean from it he's he's right, or just, solace yeah he's gonna be stuck in it here in, in three billboards one of the the criticisms i have read uh is that in particular with the sam rockwell character uh mm. that the film is perhaps too forgiving which i do i do disagree with given what happens to the man i don't i don't think he's in a good place you know i don't for the last half of the <laughs> film um i I saw it more. I thought it was really interesting, given our our, our climate that we're in. That you know, this uh, someone like I think Woody Allen's on the record saying, "I don't want this to turn into a witch hunt," which is not not a good look for for him to be the one saying that, given all the 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 sexual misdeeds and allegations that are going on. Mm-hmm. But this film is definitely about what you know, which characters and which acts are something you can come back from. Who is redeemable and who is irredeemable here? And you have the characters discussing that. And certainly when you're looking for a rapist and a murderer, I, I think everyone in the characters, even the characters who have vast differences like Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand's seem to come to that understanding that that's something that cannot be forgiven in this world and have no interest in entertaining such a notion. But then you have the Sam Rockwell character of Dixon. And as I mentioned, uh, Mildred's character who does, they do some things that would be horrifying if that was your, if that was your news story for the day in your local town. Yeah. And yet I do feel like there's room for those characters, or at least there's a hope being put out by Martin McDonough that given the opportunity, those characters can be redeemed. They may be doing some really bad things right now, but, and that's one of the things I really, I did really like about it. I don't know if I come out wanting to hang out with the Sam Rockwell character, (laughs) but I do, I like his arc and I don't, I don't know if it's sincere because it definitely has a lot to do with Chief Willoughby's sickness and uh, some words that are left to him. But I, I like seeing a guy who's so desperate um, to do good 
that he's going to, he's going to throw in with something that is morally complex. And I don't think he was, he was ever a character that was morally, morally complex. I think he was just a hyper violent asshole up to that point. So do you have any issues with that, with sort of using that type of character, someone who is so prone to, to violence and is not the most intelligent being weaponized in a way for the, you know, the force of good, if you will. Well, first off, I I don't think that redemption is the accurate term for what actually happens with that character, Um, nor do I believe that he deserves redemption, um, especially in this political climate and this social climate that we're talking about. You're talking about Sam Rockwell's character. Yes. Okay. I threw threw in other names and I I was like, wait, if we're talking Woody Allen, that's... Uh, that's going to be a very different conversation because no one saw his fucking movie. So we, <laughs> we, need, right. we need clicks here. So. Yeah. No, um, no, we're talking about Sam Rockwell. Okay. All right. Um, and in this film specifically, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't agree with that criticism, mostly because I don't believe that the character is ever redeemed. Okay. I think that yeah. you see a character very similar to American History X, Edward Norton's character. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't come back from the kind of evil that lived in you, but you can acknowledge that it was bad and it was wrong and you can move on from there. Hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I mean, we can agree to disagree, you know what I mean? But like the, the point that I'm trying to basically make is like, and it's almost seen in the action of Sam Rockwell is he basically spends the last, you know, part of the movie, not giving a shit what happens to him. And yeah. to you, you know what I mean? It's like you don't see him thinking, oh, good things have to happen to me now. He he never – it's the audience's assumption that he deserves good in his life simply because he's had a change of heart. And I don't think that he believes that, and I don't think that the film presupposes that. I think yeah, that I it accepts that. that he's – right. I, I think that it accepts that he is, was a horrible person, and he's just trying to navigate away from there. You know, there are certain – Things in your life, you know, just because you do bad things doesn't mean that you are a bad person. And, you know what I mean? And I don't think that redemption really has much to do with that. Like, there are some people that I've treated badly enough that they're just going to fucking hate me for the rest of their lives. But that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Does that mean that I can redeem myself in their eyes? No, I don't necessarily deserve redemption if I've done something horrible. But I'm also not losing any sleep at night because I know I'm not a bad person. I just did bad things. And I think that the film captures that pretty brilliantly. I, I don't think that it redeems him at all. I think that it captures the complexity of the human, the, the battle between the human soul. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought Sam Rockwell handled it really well. And he's not my favorite person simply because the first thing I saw him in was the Green Mile. And ever since then, he just kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Oh, no. Have you yeah, seen so it's Laggies? Like, He's adorable. He should be the romantic lead and Oh, everything. he is cute and laggy. Yeah. You're right. I forgot. Aw. See, so I scrubbed it from my memory because it's just like, <laughs> you know, what an ability kid. Oh, my God. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> well, okay, to your American History X, that's an interesting point yeah. because I think uh, even though they're, they're, sort of, they're racist tendencies and they're propensity for violence uh it's somewhat similar because both most films have a horrific violent acts that it, it oh yeah they, they really emphasize and in, in this film it, it's it's one shot and so they they really want you in that moment and they don't want you to look away from what he's doing here cool. but i i think the the dixon character in three billboards is he's not an intelligent character and never will be he's he's <laughs> ignorant in the true sense and i 
there's a willful ignorance with Edward Norton's character in American History X, which for me may lean a little bit more evil because it's like oh, you yeah. are you are smart, you are a bright guy, and you're choosing to. It's like there's something about you that likes feeling that way. Like it's that you you want to have these emotions, you want to be angry and blame someone. I don't. I don't feel like Dixon has given it that much thought, and I, I think that that's one thing that maybe some people could have an issue with. That he's somewhat sort of spun like a bottle top by like the the Willoughby character, and it's just looking for yeah. some sort of guidance. And then that it's, it, that's all it takes. It just takes one person being like, "Hey, why don't you why don't you try doing this instead?" And so that's why I don't I don't feel like the film is defending him and trying to pay him out to be a hero. I think right. it's, he's it's true the character that he's just not very bright and he just is wanting to impress someone and the skill set he has is to i guess to abuse people and to be abused that's I mean, that is this is yeah. not a classic western icon coming to town as far as the way he handles things so no. i don't know it's a little as i said it's a little messy it's a messy film that's what i really like about it me too i agree completely i loved it i loved how messy it was i love how muddled it was i love how you know, it's not black or white or gray because you can't even you, like put those colors together to form anything, you know, but yet it, it lives as it is. It is cohesive simply because it does have that moment in time feeling to it. It feels a lot like real life and not in a really annoying avant-garde mumblecore way. No, there's some, there's definitely some bigger issues at the table here uh, yeah. than you know, a, a puffy couch or whatever it was, right? puffy chair. I don't. Know, I didn't chair. see it, but I, I know that's that's the joke. It's it was puffy something. Uh, it was a piece of furniture. <laughs> it was a puffy piece of furniture. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I like mumblecore. I just think that it's very difficult to uh, execute the uh, precise feeling of life with such amazing, you know, cinematography, music, acting, dialogue. It's so expertly crafted, and yet it still feels so messy. And that's really a phenomenal feat. Thank you for listening to another Mark S. Plate. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Mark S. Plate. Or go to followingfilms.com, where you will find other great podcasts, such as the True Bromance Film Podcast and The Grand Gesture. If you would like to follow me or Jesse, she is on Twitter at search to find you. And I am on Twitter at projecting film. Hopefully you are subscribed on iTunes because you will get our next episode being hosted by Hiro of true bromance film and Andrew of AV film review on the disaster artist and ironic enjoyment in film until then. Here's just a little bit more of me and Jesse talking about really awkward first movie dates. But one of the other uh, very comic, like comedic movies that's centered around a dark subject matter for me that I really enjoyed, uh, and not many people agree with me, is Nurse Betty. Did you ever see that? I went on a, I was in high school and went on a very awkward first date. <laughs> that one. Oh, no! Not, for you a teenager, like... not a very good first date. <laughs> oh my god, no, that's, that's hilarious. Let me just make it worse. I okay. thought I thought I had asked this girl out to go see Almost Famous, and she loved Cameron oh. Crow movies, and that was in limited release and was platforming out to our neck of the woods the following week. So we were already like going to the movies and 
you know, pre, you know, smartphone, all that, was like, hey, we're almost famous. Like, what do we watch? I was like, I don't know. I guess we could watch Nurse Betty, and the poster looks <laughs> looks bright and charming, and oh. Renee's on there smiling, and hey, it's got Chris Rock in it, Morgan Freeman, um, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I hope he keeps his, his hair. Nope, doesn't in the first 10 minutes. So, <laughs> uh, no, that was terrible, and that went nowhere. So, yeah, the, uh, date number two did not come up. I uh, had to find someone else to go see Almost Famous with next week. So, yeah. I have seen it, and I have, I hate it. I have bad memories of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, first of all, what a wet blanket.